What is up, everyone? My name is Brandon First, aka First Report, representing the ESBC Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. Uh, it's the day before sports return to this great country. And as always, it is Wednesday, so it is time uh, for myself and 2016 California Coach of the Year, Brandon Lupian, to talk about the top stories of the week. But before we do that, let's get into what lies ahead uh, on the ESBC podcast network throughout the rest of the week. Connected uh, to. I found. Thursday, uh, Matt Bird will have his weekly corruption chat from St. Petersburg, Florida, where he is so influential. And also starting tomorrow, uh, the, the Raider Gym and, and myself, uh, Delmar Racetrack, show which we have now coined the call to post day to um to hand those races and uh and then friday we move on to college uh, college football as we get ready to talk college or conference usa uh with myself and uh josh luke or josh uh Vizke. and sunday is major league baseball this is an exciting time this coming sunday it will obviously be the first weekend we have actual sports to talk about don't forget to head to our website and check out our spreadsheets on twitter that will show you who to bet and they will be tracking our bets throughout the year so that uh when you when you wonder how we were able to do what we did all year it will be right there and don't forget look if you really want to get involved send us a comment give us a call uh, subscribe to the network. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear some feedback from you. And we have stuff dropping for you every single day. We obviously move on to Monday where our NBA podcast was already uh, on fire. And then we just got a huge upgrade with former NBA player and West Coast Conference Hall of Fame player, Dane, uh, Dane Suttle, who is joining the network to coach the likes of Nick Van Exel, James Harden, along with countless others. He is now joining the podcast to help us monetize baseball. And I do want to throw this out there. I do apologize. This is my first time throwing this in there. I am going to be joined by Brianna Winner on uh, Sunday. She'll be helping me out with both, both podcasts. She's a huge Angels fan, a huge baseball fan. She will be helping me out um, on those podcasts. Great addition. We had one this past Sunday. She was great. She'll also be giving you a weekly Angels report next week. But now that we got that stuff all figured out, it's time to get to the fun stuff of the day. I'm joined by my co-host for the day. I love this. I love this show. Brandon Lupian, 2016 California Junior College Coach of the Year. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, and it was a great intro, and it's a great schedule of what's going forward with the podcast network. Um, I just want to say this, okay? I want to say this, and I don't want anyone to forget because this is going to be a little bit of ongoing theme probably throughout the podcast, but I'm glad you brought in Brianna Winner to help out with that Sunday baseball podcast. Why? And here's why. Because I can't stress enough how important this movement for women in sports is. It's about time that they're recognized. And um, this week, since this is a week-to-week -week kind of show, Giants coach Alyssa Nakin, right, became the first woman to coach on field during an MLB exhibition game. Oh, she'll be there. Yeah, absolutely. So, that, I mean, that's, that's huge. And that's, 
it's well deserved on her end. And um, I just met Brianna this week and I'm welcoming Brianna to the podcast and I'm excited to hear you guys on Sunday. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. So um, for all our listeners, please keep in mind the importance of women in sports. But as we move forward, we're gonna stick with this baseball theme hours ago. Okay, hours ago, um, Mookie Betts signs this 12-year contract with the Dodgers. It, it's, it's like everyone's nightmare in the West, um, along with who you mentioned while we were off the air, Brandon. What a nightmare for Boston fans, right? You want to elaborate a little bit on their loss? <laughs> Yeah, this was, and I was one of those people. I mean, yeah. three months ago, we were all laughing at the Dodgers. Right. Because none of us, we all, look, Mookie Betts had come out and said, look, I don't care. I'm going to free agency. I mean, right. Right. He, he came out and said that. That, of course, signaled to the Red Sox, hey, let's get rid of him for a year. Um, I, it, it blows my mind, okay? We look at the, the deal that the Dodgers said, and look, a lot of what the deal was, was eating Mookie Betts's contract so the Red Sox could get under the luxury tax. Right. All under the guise of, okay, well, we'll have a chance to throw $400 million at Mookie Betts in the open market. Well, the Red Sox end up getting, they end up getting Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs. Okay, look, with all due respect to Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs, if yes. they both equal as what I expect from them, the Red Sox will still lose this trade. But a big reason why they made that trade was, oh, okay, well, we'll probably get him back in a year. Well, that's gone. And I think a huge reason why this happened was Mookie Betts realizes, look, this is a different financial uh, forecast that from, from what was a year ago. Right. A year ago, yeah, I could have counted probably 10, 12 teams that would have thrown $400 million at Mookie Betts. Now, those same teams might be able to, but is it really smart right? I mean, we're talking about a whole year where they're not going to have fans. A right. huge loss in money. So is there a, an onus for a team to really go out and throw $400 million? I think Mookie Betts went, hey, these guys are going to pay me $12 million, or um, I'm sorry, for tw- next 12 years, $380 million. I mean, what's another $20 million when you're already making three eighty? You know, in California, that's all taxes. At that right. Point, you know? If so, there was one team that could, though, it was probably only the Dodgers. They haven't spent bad. They've been able to develop through their farm, and they're going to have to pay those guys coming up. But this team is the team that's been – is other than Boston, uh, next season or next free agent year market, it, it, it's probably just been the Dodgers. You know, it, it, this was probably going to be the best deal looking forward. I agree. And, and you know, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, we, we see Mookie Betts get 12 years, 380 million. And, and I kind of go, wow, I think the Dodgers got him pretty cheap. I mean, we're they literally did. talking about the best player not named Mike Trout. They and, did. Yeah. You know, and, and, there could be maybe an argument. Um, he's not better than Trout. He's the only person that someone can argue, but he is by far the second best player in baseball. He is now on a team, but you did bring up a very good point. Bellinger, Bueller, yeah. Seager. Those guys These are going to get paid. And they're going to need to get paid. And I don't care how, how much 
they got from that TV deal, they are not going to be able to pay all four of those guys $40 million a year for the next 20 years. So where does that go? They're going to have to pick and choose somewhat um, who they pick. I mean, Jock Peterson, they already tried to trade him. Jock Peterson could go get, you know, a $25 million a deal contract tomorrow. And he's probably not even starting on the Dodgers. So that's just, it's, they have a lot of things coming down the pike that they're going to have to pay. But I tell you what, they got some big time housekeeping done. And as a Padre fan, nightmare. This is a nightmare. It's a nightmare situation. For the next 12 years, we will be the underdog in that division, which is fine. Don't get me wrong, but it is a huge, huge difference from winning your division and you're into a five game series as opposed to being a wild card. Oh, here we go. One game playoff. I mean, anything can happen. So it's, it's yeah, let me interject something in here. This is Josh Abner, MBA. And this is an ongoing argument that I have with B first, Dr. Brandon first, Coach Lupian. I want you to, to chime in and maybe break a tie here. All right. Because it goes along the lines of what you guys have been saying and it's huge for, betting and inside embedding we'll get to in the Dodgers briefing. But the argument between Dr. First and myself, he's a doctor, he's a PhD, and I am an MBA. Andrew Freeman, I know him from the days in, and when I say I know him, I actually know him. The guy was, and I'm biased towards him, because he used to come in and eat at my restaurant. Faithful guy, him, and his name escapes me, but it's just as old as he is with uh the Rays, right his name is david i know him as dave and the owner of the Rays uh, is a wall street guru right so they're on numbers guys analytics and both these guys steinberg i think is his name dave and andrew freeman worked for his uh investment firm in wall street and then when he bought the Rays, he put him in the front office of the Rays, and now he's in the front office of the dodgers right so hold on, analytics guys. So I'm going to actually give you guys a two-part question, right? Number one is uh, run suppression versus run creation, right? And Brandon first hates Austin Hedges because the only reason he's in Major League Baseball because he's a run suppression guy, right? He's good behind the plate. He knows how to call the right pitches. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of how to pitch to every single guy in the major leagues, even guys off the bench, even guys in AAA, Austin Hedges knows how to pitch. That's why he's in there, but he's a horrible hitter, right? So Andrew Freeman is a run suppression guy. And the reason they got Betts is because Betts is a phenomenal defensive guy. Now, B first PhD's yeah, philosophy is yeah, close, to, close and near to my heart because I think of uh, not Whitey Herzog, but the guy at Baltimore that used to be uh, the three-run home run. He's a runs guy, right? He's guys that play for Colorado. Uh, a runs guy is funny because he comes from an analytic organization. It's Rocco Bob Deli. And the Twins, all they want to do is bomb, right? So that's, that's, that's the debate. And then the other debate comes from our Monday night podcast with Coach Suttle right? Coach James Harden. And we talked about analytics in basketball, right? That's an argument that analytics works in basketball. But what he said was very interesting to me from a math perspective. It's going to hit a brick wall and have the Dodgers hit a brick wall with analytics when they get to the World Series. 
Maybe that's why they haven't won. Because analytics can only take you so far. They're excuse, not an excuse, right? But the reason is that both the Astros and the Red Sox knew what pitch was coming because Alex Correa was cheating. So I'm interested well, to see what you guys think about that. Dealing with a 160-game schedule is a whole lot different than dealing with a 60-game shortened season schedule. In, in years past, it's been the um, – it's been Kershaw that's been kind of unreliable as he broke down at the end of the season. That's not to be expected this year. It, it shouldn't be. I'm not expecting it. As much as I'm not a Dodger fan, supporter, researcher, whatnot, you're going to get a, a, a healthy Kershaw from beginning of the season to the end. And that staff is just filthy. And as far as Mookie Betts being a run suppressor because of his great defense, this guy is a phenomenal offensive athlete. He's able to get on base, create runs by getting extra bases, and put pressure on a staff that you always get that one pass ball. You'll get one balk, and it's going to advance a runner or two. You know, there's, there's that pressure when these guys are on – when he's on the base path, that is not like a an Alex Verdugo. I mean, Alex Verdugo puts pressure on the pitchers, but he's no Mookie Betts putting pressure on a pitcher. So, you know, it's it's hard to just classify Betts as a run suppressor because of his defense, because this dude is talented with the bat. He's talented on the base paths. He puts pressure on the catcher, the infielders, the pitcher, pitchers that aren't comfortable coming out of the stretch, they give him that extra batter something else to look at. So, you know, I, I, it, this is a phenomenal pickup. It was a phenomenal pickup for them. They're like the luckiest team right now that there is baseball, and he he's now that he's signed. Um, as far as – the basketball analytics go it, it we see it every season you see no defense in shots after shots and shots up until playoffs and depth and defensive adjustments and just that will of a of being a defensive hog is what's going to get most teams advancing into the playoffs um you see it every year Defense doesn't happen. The real basketball doesn't happen until the playoffs when teams have to, to adjust defensively. And in a series, you're going to be able to put up shots, but at the end of that series, are those shots going to be as comforting or are your legs going to be as, as fresh? Not necessarily going deep into a series. And while you're facing those adjustments and you got just some hogs on the defensive end that muster out a little bit more than, than you could give, that's always the decider. It's, it's, it's not so much the technique of how you teach someone how to rebound. It's what's between the guy's legs and, and that heart that's beating in his chest that decides he's going to get the rebound or not. You know, if you look at Rodman, Rodman was just a freak, but he was more adamant about grabbing a gosh darn rebound over someone. You look at a guy like Ben Wallace, musculature figure, a whole lot more musculature than, than Rodman. He was just – he had to find his niche in the NBA. His NBA niche was defense and being a rebounder. 
and um, th that's more or less what's up in the head, what's in the heart, what's between the legs as far as them being dropped and all. But you, you tell yourself you just got to get that ball. You're going to get that ball and, and, and sign multi-million dollar contracts. Um, so it's interesting. Is there analytics in basketball? Of course. Does it fail? Yes, it does. Baseball, same thing. But you know what? Baseball is such a long season. Um, at the end of the year, these guys aren't nowhere near fresh, mid-season fresh. You know, these guys are grinding and, and they're on fumes and gas. And whatever team has the most talent and depth or cheats for, for Houston's matter um, and, and finds a way to take advantage of it is, uh, is what's going to propel a team over the top. I, uh, you know, for me, the last couple of years, like you can have the best analytics department in the game and all that stuff, but the end and of the, the day, the, the, yeah. the, the Astros and the Red Sox were the better team. And okay, the Astros will, we can have that conversation because they were stealing signs. Right. I don't care if the Red Sox were stealing signs. The Red Sox were the best team in baseball that year. It wasn't really even close. I don't think anybody even pushed them to a game six. It no. wasn't really close. So analytics, yes. I mean, hey, who knows? Maybe the Marlins have the greatest analytics department ever. Well, their analytics show that their team sucks. So I do believe analytics and, and all the sports, I think analytics in baseball is the safest way to go. Um, but, you know, there's, there's um, you know, even Moneyball. We look at Moneyball. But I know it's on average. Did you guys answer this question? Coach, let me ask Looping because I know the way uh, PhD, Dr. First thinks because we argued a lot about it. What's more important to you in baseball? And I know it depends on the team. Run suppression or run creation. Somebody who can hit um, versus somebody who's a great defensive player. I think it depends. I think it, it depends. It, it, it really does. It, it, it really does depend on the make Coors Field. If you're a general manager of the Colorado Rockies, it's you're a hell of a lot easier to go get power hitters than it is to find five aces whose ERA are going to get blown up. Now, conversely, right. early days of Petco Park. When it was a, I mean, what, four home runs all year were hit there pretty much, it seems like. Right. Now, I think, I think it plays to your park. You look at Fenway. You get some left-handed power hitters, you're going to have a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, and then a new Yankee Stadium, too. So there, there's ways to go about it. Now, we saw with the Rockies, with Mike Hampton in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was the late 90s, they threw as much money as they could at him. He was the best pre, uh, pitcher available. Right. And that right. ruined yeah. But then we also see guys like Esteban Herman, who's who's been a sub three ERA for the last three years in Colorado. So where is the is the thing? I think when it comes to run suppression versus yeah. run, it's what is the easiest available. Yeah. Even for the Padres, the the it, it's the I always say the cheapest way to build a contender is through a bullpen. Okay, it's not easy, but it's the cheapest way to do it. It's going to be hard to be competitive that way, and you're not going to win a World Series unless you have something else. But if you have a good bullpen, you have a leg up. So for the Padres and the Pirates and the Rays, they're going to focus on that. But yeah. when you look at the Dodgers and the Yankees, and they're going to go trade for Mookie Betts and Aaron Judges and Mike Stanton's um, and then sign them. So it's just a different – I think it's just, it's very similar. We kind of look in like college football. Wisconsin is not going to run the same offense as Oregon, but it no. works for both because right. they recruit this way. And for the Padres or each team, 
That's why the Padres look at Zach Davies and think, hey, that's someone that we can work with. The Dodgers go, no, let's just go sign or go trade for this guy and throw $20 million at him. So for each team, there's a different little battle strategy or game plan, and they have to work with kind of what is their parameters. You know, it's not the NFL where everybody has $150 million to spend, and you better hope that you spend it wisely. The Dodgers can – I mean, I don't think it's going to blow up the Mookie Betts thing. But if it does, believe me, the Dodgers are not going bankrupt. They'll be just fine, you know. So, so the, 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 the run suppression versus it, I think it depends on where you are as a franchise. And like I said, what your ballpark does. You know, and, and as far as the analytics go, the analytics go more than just into a game situation. The analytics, let's talk Andrew Friedman. Andrew Friedman came from Tampa Bay small market team that used analytics to develop guys like price number one overall pick. Yeah. He had the talent, but you know what? There's some room, there's development there, but you look all along down that lineup. All those guys were not big name guys, but they were prospects, big name prospects that developed because of that, the analytics, the attention to detail on spin ratio, the ball coming out of a guy's, hands, um, launch angle. No one talked launch angle five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, while these small market teams like the Braves were making runs. No, those are the details of the the analytic details that showed the growth of the player and what it did to the team. Analytics per game is not like analytics and development. And I think analytics and development is where the Dodgers have excelled the last number of years with Freeman, where they're recording every pitcher at spring training. And they're seeing what that finger and what that ball connection is. And then the spin ratio, what that was while that kid was in high school or college and in minor leagues, and what it takes more to make it to the major leagues. And the analytics and development uh, of the game is where – these guys are taking advantage of and, and the Dodgers have done a great job building from within Tampa Bay for years was a team that built from within the Padres. Now, other than the, the last couple of years, the signings of like Manny and Osmer, these are homegrown guys. Yeah. They had to trade for like Tatis, but he was still a developmental prospect. He wasn't high on the Chicago White Sox list. They had to develop them and then talent kind of, meshed with the development and and now we're seeing the fruits of its of its labor and then we're going to see a lot of these younger guys where the analytics has really dissected what it what it takes to get better and when you got to get better i always i always listen to to what um lance armstrong said what what doping did it didn't make him 10 times better than the guy that came in second place it made him like 8% 8% better. And that's a small ratio. And if you look at tennis, number one, Djokovic, number two, Nadal, number four, Fed, and then you have like six, seven, eight, it's a small percentage that takes someone over the top. And to some of those small market teams in the Dodgers advantage have found what analytics is going to benefit into that development. And then you know what, at some point, you just kind of lace them up, you tighten up the, the gloves and you put the bat on your shoulder and you let your overall just game flow. There's some talented ball players on that squad and rightfully 
in addition to the help and development they've got, now you just kind of like let them play, you know? Other, you know, the, the one thing that I'm disappointed in is a lot of managers are, are making their own lineup nowadays because of analytics, right? And, you know, it has its place, but you know what? Sometimes it's kind of like, what's the gut say about a person in, in a lineup? You know what I mean? So 100%. I, that's I my that, biggest. Yeah. I hope that clarifies a, a little bit of what you're asking, but, you know, back to, and I'll, I'll let you touch up on that. Um, but back to like Mookie, like he's a generational guy. Mike Trout's a generational guy that does it on the suppression end and does it on the aggressive offensive end. And you just don't put, you just don't put the handcuffs on those guys. And that's why he gets paid the way he gets paid. Go ahead, Brandon. And, and just the last two points I'll make on this is what number one, my biggest complaint on Dave Roberts. I love Dave Roberts. I know he's a Dodger manager, but he is, he's, he's a cancer survivor. He is somebody that changed the course of baseball history back to back nights. I don't think anybody has any idea how tough it is to come in and pinch run when everybody and their mother knows you're going to steal and you do it. Guess what? He did it back-to-back nights. Anyways, I'm, right. um, my biggest problem with him is that, is that because he has so many lefties on that team, he's afraid when another lefty comes up. Look, if Cody Bellinger is your best player, he should be able to be- hit lefties. You yes. know, that was my biggest thing in the World Series. I know he struggled, and, you know, it was well-documented. But I'm sorry, he's your best player on that team. We shouldn't see Alex Verdugo starting in the World Series ahead of because for me, if I'm an opposing pitcher, I now can manipulate you to put worse players on the field. I am manipulating the way you put your lineup together. And that is not okay. You're either holding him hostage at that point. I'll face Verdugo. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll face Verdugo on Mars before I'll face Cody Bellinger on Earth. I mean, you Yeah, but uh, Verdugo's not there, right? He's in Boston. So what do you guys think of Gavin Lux? Well, but I was just saying last year or two years ago in the World Series, they were putting Verdugo in instead of Bell, uh, Bellinger. Um, I mean, this year it could be Kike Hernandez or or the new Andre Ethier. But, I mean, one, and then the last thing. Um, Gavin Lux is uh, replacing uh, Verdugo okay. in that slot. The, the, the big thing, and I've been asking this question all offseason, was how hard and how how much, what percentage were we going to see Mookie Betts play at? Because he was going into a contract year, playing 60 games. Could you imagine if he blew his knee out or he's out for nine months and all for what, game game 42 of a 60-game season? Now he's signed, he's got the money, he's got the bag. There was a small part of me that thought, hey, you know, maybe he told the Dodgers, I'm really not comfortable playing this year. Why don't you sign me? to a 10-year deal, and then I can sit this year out, and I'll feel, and then that was my Padre, you know, feeling. Yeah. That obviously isn't going to happen. Mookie <laughs> is going to play. But that was something that came up with maybe now this, this is, now he can say, now I feel okay going 100%, which is completely fine. Believe me, anybody else in that, any of us in that situation, we would have had second thoughts about fully going. I mean, and And we talked about that. I think the the second podcast of this show in regard to pulling out because of contract years, right? That they're going into con and, and Mookie Betts was was one of the the guys we mentioned. 
moving forward, but staying with baseball, okay? And on a betting scene, what does the madness of the Toronto Blue Jays, one, not being able to play in Canada, two, don't have a home where it was tweeted out earlier today, Pittsburgh was going to be the place that they played home events. And then later on this afternoon, it's unsafe. They're under over games. One has, has to have dropped at least seven games, you know? So betting that under looking at that under or whatever that original number was or is right now. I mean, it's, it's, it's enticing. It's enticing. And I'm going to find that a number for everyone to listen but your thoughts real quick. It's, it's, it's crazy um, that, you know, first Toronto gets told by the country. Um, no. No. And I was very surprised at first because Toronto is an NHL hub city and it was explained yeah. to me and it made actually a yeah. lot of sense. You know, it's kind of one of those things you see something, you get super emotional and like, what is this? And it made sense that, Hey, you know, those teams in that NHL bubble, if you will, they're staying there. Now, the Toronto Blue Jays are going to go, they're going to come, other teams are going to come, blah, blah, blah. So I understand that. Um, and then it was Buffalo. And then, okay, that makes perfect sense. The Buffalo AAA team isn't going to play. Blah, blah. And then, then they're like, no, they're going to play at PNC Park. And for me, it, it, was, it just blew my mind. Like, wait, right. what are the Pirates going to do? We're talking about a situation, I think I texted to you, what, what is, what's the clubhouse situation? Because as of right now, the way clubhouses are working is there is no visitor clubhouse. If you are a visiting team, you 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 get dressed in the in the uh, concession area or in the seats. Yeah, like and then the game's over. You get on a bus and you drive to the hotel in the smelliest yeah. bus yeah. ever. So does that mean the the Blue Jays would never get it? And that was before the state of Pennsylvania, the health department said no, you can't play and. I can only imagine, I feel like the, the, the Blue Jays right now are just kind of like looking around like, wait, who, who, who can, where can we go? Who, who wants to take us in? And I do think, I mean, now I'm not 100% sure, but I, I can't imagine New York is, is willing to bring in another 40, 50 people. Um, so I'm wondering if possibly for the first couple weeks before they get this figured out, the Blue Jays will be now technically the home team. So they'll uh, bat at the bottom of the order, or I'm sorry, uh, the bottom of the inning. But they'll be in, like, say they're playing the Yankees. They'll be the, the Blue Jays will be at home, but they'll be at Yankee Stadium. I mean, and, and that I can only imagine. The Blue Jay team is, I mean, they're going to be putting some air miles together unless well, something you know, gets figured out. As you were mentioning that, right, I don't know what year it was, but it was in the Houston Astrodome where they hosted, I think it was a Republican National Convention, and the Astros were on the road for what, three months? It's crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Buckle up, buckle up, Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. And you know, you know it's, it's a bummer too because yeah. they were a team that is, now don't get me wrong, they're, they're a couple years away. But right. they were a team in a 60-game season. Right. You never know. You know, they, their pitching's okay. That, I'll tell you what, that infield. Yes. You, you, Defensively, talk about run suppression. Oh, talk oh, about run suppression. And then you got a junior Vlad. And then mm -hmm. what everyone's been talking about, Bichette, right, right now. And it's like, these kids are going to go out there, swing away. 
and they're going to give they're all for 160 games or for 60 games i'm sorry and see where the dominoes fall at the end like yeah. you're right they're going to be mean, an exciting team having a young team like this is probably the best case scenario for yeah. this kind of like you know hey we're yeah. going on like i said because because see this time tomorrow folks the season yeah. will have begun we yeah. will be playing now the red the blue jays are two days away but still we don't know, you know, what, what's going to happen. And even earlier um, when they were talking about them at PNC Park, there were, I think it was two series. It was going to be the Yankees. There was a Yankee series. Or no, that couldn't be right. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, a Yankee series and a national series where they were actually going to play that series in Washington and New York. And the, the Blue Jays would have been the home team. That was because of scheduling conflict with the Pirates. So that's why I think that's what they'll do. Because, look, we, they're going to have to – this isn't a situation of wait and see now. This is a where can we – like, we need duct tape. We need Gorilla Glue. We need to patch this hole and then figure out how to stop it fully. Um, but it's, it's, it's very, very interesting and definitely gambling standpoint, betting standpoint. This is not ideal for a young team that is already kind of – you know, not, not, not a ton of veteran leadership. Um, you know, you got Hinjung Ryu, who's probably the most veteran guy, but I don't think he speaks English. So that's going to be, you know, you, you, when your leader, you know, needs to translate, that's not, and I'm not saying he's the leader, but if he's the, he's the most experienced guy in there, you're going to need to look somewhere else. Right. It's going to be difficult. Um, I'm really bummed because the Blue Jays were a team that, I really, really thought they. I think their over/under number was like twenty-six. I thought it's they could. The, okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because I mm -hmm. wanted to get into that. Right, the um, 2019 Blue Jays in their first sixty games, twenty-two and thirty-eight. Wow. The under for 2020 was the unders twenty-eight and a half. Wow. Now you yeah. have no home. You have no comfortability. You have no clear like mental break from loading up unloading getting in a hotel blah, blah 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 i just can't sleep in my own bed like one night just sleeping in your own bed how relieving that is under 28 and a half easy easy, under. easy. i mean and that number is going to drop right that number is dropping as we speak get on it now. i would not be surprised if if that bet has been pulled off the board um, because it is such a – it changes things. It really, really does because, okay, if they do end up in Buffalo, all right. But even then, we, we, we go to – you know, if you're an outfielder now, and I've never seen the Buffalo ballpark, but talk to somebody who plays in Fenway for the first time. Talk to a center fielder in Fenway the first time. They want to be out in batting practice for as long as possible. They want people throwing things into the weird little areas. That's a big part of it, too, is – losing you know that home field advantage and when i mean that i don't mean the fans because no one's having that but i mean in terms of where you'll see certain balls hey rip down the the right field line maybe it hits that little in thing but the the right fielder knew it was going to happen he's standing right there and he holds him to a single as opposed to he's already deep in the corner and now it jumps out to short right uh, towards center we might be looking at an inside the park home run if you got the right guy on base so, so, it's so many things i think that is a slam dunk bet for them right now is to take the under it's a it's a it's a bit of a team and i hate to say it bring it up but it, it's a bit of similarly to the kind of the new orleans saints after hurricane katrina a team without a home right. um, now obviously that was a whole different scenario 
but it is. It's a situation where they really just don't know what's going to happen week in and week or day in and day out, I should say. Now, I'm glad you brought up the fact that, yeah, the comfortability of knowing your home field dimensions. I cannot get over the fact I used to love hearing when I got there early, watching Tony Gwynn shagging fly balls, shagging rebounds off the right field fence at Qualcomm, Jack Murphy, you know, and, and it's not so much nowadays, but that's just part of the craft that you did back then. Now you got these kids that are freewheeling, you know, swinging away, whatever, and they don't get a chance to to make those adjustments. Yeah, you know what? Under 20 and a half, if it's still there today when we get done, I'm putting yeah. it down, right? Put it down. <laughs> okay. Um, moving forward, moving forward, okay? Because things have come out from Wednesday to Wednesday. Let's get into some NFL talk um, during the weekend. Some big name NFL players have questioned whom they work for, the NFL and the owners. They're concerned about their health, rightfully so. For months on end, the NFL has been doing what they want. They executed the draft. They executed the virtual draft. They made America feel some sense of normalcy, including myself, because, yeah, I was like, yeah, we're having football. Yeah, rookies are going to camp, you know? Um, some teams, yes. Some teams, no. My Saints, all I know is Sean Payton was was like, you know what, guys? Just come into camp when we start camp in the best shape of your lives. We're not going to do all these mini stuff, blah, 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 blah. But everyone else was full steam ahead, giving us fans this sense of, yes, NFL football is here. We're not going to lose it. And then all of a sudden, and we don't hear anything about safety concerns, right? Superstars have brought that out. They want to know what the NFL owners' concerns are in regards to the player's safety. Your thought? You know, it's the NFL and player safety. I mean, here we are again. Mm -hmm. We are, now this is COVID as opposed to concussion, but we're literally talking about a league that has suppressed data that this sport kills. I mean, it does. Um, the the data is there. Um, it's not a sit. Now, look, I'm one of those people that I believe that, you know, the players know this is a risk. I'm not saying stop football ever, but okay. this is a league that actively tried to cover up the fact that they knew what they were doing or what they were doing wasn't enough. And then when we got to a point where money needed to be changed hands, the NFL played the blame game. They did everything they could, and then they put out these and, – and I might be alone in this, but every time I see it, those stupid little commercials about, you know, oh, the NFL and, and, and uh, so-and-so, we're teaming up to make football so much – like, no. That wow. has left a long time ago. I don't even care if you are doing that. Right. What, everything that you've done prior to that has killed all of this goodwill that you're doing now. So I look at it where we are right now with corona – and I am not surprised that the NFL um, isn't really taking the whole safety concern too seriously. Of all the sports in the world, the NFL has, I mean, outside of the virtual draft, that's pretty much the only time they've acknowledged that 
you know, hey, it's a little different. You know, yeah. I mean, everything you hear is like, nope, we're good to go. Training camps are opening, blah, blah, blah. you know, and, and they're full steam ahead. And I, I, I commend the players for coming out and saying something um, because it is important that, and I think in the NFL, of all the other sports, it's very, very important for these players to set a precedent that our health matters, especially with the concussions and everything. Yep. Okay, we're in a spot where Roger Goodell and, and, and owners are pretty much dictating what these players are going to do, what they're going to have to put themselves through. Now, don't get me wrong. They're being, they're being handsomely rewarded or, you know, you sign me up for anything that ends with a million or even six figures, I will probably do whatever you need me to do now. However, I look down at the, at the NCAA level. And that's my problem. We have a situation now where these kids are not only not, not only getting paid, but there's a chance this whole scholarship they've been given, maybe there's no school. So why am I here? You know, now, okay, there's maybe 3% that are here to make the NFL, but a lot of these kids, we need that degree. Now you want me to put my life at risk or, 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 or my family member's life at risk so Missouri can travel 3,000 miles in the SEC but can't play a non-conference game? Against Iowa State? I mean, what, where, what is the thinking? And it, it, and it kind of is, the, and I know I'm talking NCAA, but it's the same thing with the NFL. The yes. NFL hides behind this, we're a billion-dollar industry, and, and we're, we're going to be, do what's right for, uh, for America, and we're going to distract America, blah, blah, blah. Don't Distra get me wrong. I want to be distracted, but yes. I also don't want to see in 10 years that my favorite NFL football player has – crazy complications because we needed football in 2020 it's it's just every other sport is addressing the situation and it seems like the nfl just thinks they're immune to it wait a second they're not addressing anything well i, I mean unbelievable right right unbelievable. So, so let's let's see let's see the the thing the only way i've seen them address something is wouldn't then they get rid of two preseason games well that was well before this well yeah. before right and this is um, an opportunity. We've been, we've been screaming at them to get rid of two preseason games anyway. I think this is their opportunity to be like, hey, let's do it now. Let's do it now. Um, social injustice. Okay, yes. <laughs> That's another thing. Yeah. We have that situation now where um, – and, well, and That's our COVID as the ESBC um, podcast – COVID-19 expert, just want to interject a little bit of what you guys were saying. So the way the NFL is going to mitigate, uh, because we're in mitigation, right? You start with contamination, mitigation, treatment, herd immunity, and vaccine. So we're in mitigation still. There are, there are testing treatments, but there isn't like a tied and through tested system. So to that end, the mitigation is going to be daily testing, right? So okay. you got to figure that the NFL has the good three-day test. So if you test three days in a row, then you uh, should be good that on the fourth day, you do not have COVID-19. Uh, common sense isn't too common, but if we were to extrapolate common sense, and you got to remember about the NFL that we talk a lot about that in betting. Every team, it's its own billion-dollar owner who thinks he knows everything and is going to do everything the right way. So 
if you test every single day, there will be a point where everybody in the room does not have COVID-19, right? So your job is to not get COVID-19. So now I'm gonna ask you guys, I'm gonna ask you this question. What's gonna happen to the competitive balance, right? If the center tests positive for COVID-19 and the whole offensive, because they're gonna separate everybody into position groups, right? So the whole offensive line goes into quarantine, which teams are gonna have the, the, the advantage, right? And I, I'm gonna say the New England Patriots. But that's, that's the COVID-19 and the health part of it. It's going to be daily testing. And there is gonna be a point where everybody in camp uh, is not gonna have COVID-19. So the only way you can get COVID-19, in my mind, would be by being negligent. Then I'll throw it back to you guys. Who's going to be advantage under that scenario? There's going to be a not lot of there's there's already a lot of negligence going on. So to put that trust in 53 players not to be negligent, you know you're going to get three percent that are under three. Let's say one, one and a half. But that's enough, you know. Um, you, you you're talking lines offensive lines well you can't you can't disregard the defensive lines with the proximity of of where they're all lined up uh, in front and against or even next to um you said new england they've consistently been a team with a strong de uh, offensive line unlike tampa bay right i and and from, oh go ahead go ahead and then and then just for me, I, I, I think I really just going back to the players, I don't think it's the testing part of it. I don't think it, I mean, yeah, they, they want to be tested. It's, uh, it's ideal. You have to be tested, but right. it's, it's the things after it's the way, um, from what I read, it was pretty much like, Oh, you, you tested negative. Okay. Well, you're immune. Like it, and there's very, and in a lot of what it is, is gray areas. I talked about on one right. of my major league baseball podcasts is the major league baseball handbook for this season. Um, they literally have graphs of how you take infield of where you're supposed to stand um, during batting practice. So there's no gray area. It is, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, and everything is, this is why. And it's very, very detailed. Yep. Now, look, if you really, really, really need some, con uh, some, some distraction, you can go read that. I wouldn't suggest it. It's kind of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of like, that would never happen. But right. they have every, pretty much every conceivable situation. Yeah. Out, they yeah. have an answer for it. And I think that's what the NFL players want, especially considering compared to um, baseball, the NFL, you're, Anybody on that field can come in contact at any moment. You know, the, the, unless that ball is hit to the right fielder, um, the, the batter is not going to give the right fielder COVID. Now, the wide receiver, you know, who knows? Maybe he runs a, 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 a screen route and a defensive lineman tackles him. Who knows? Anyone on that field can come in contact with anyone else. And then we talk sideline. What happens is you run into the sidelines and you tackle, unfortunately, Coach Wade Phillips, who's in that danger zone. Then what? You know, and... I think that's the biggest problem. Obviously, the daily testing has to happen, but it's the fact of what what's next. What? Why do we have so many gray areas? And I think Roger Goodell and the NFL just figured, hey, we can kind of half-ass this, and the players will just go with it. 
Go with and it. I will, the, the last thing I'll say about this, and just keep this in mind, there is a chance that it's not really have anything to do with safety at all. I've been seeing through through some channels that we could possibly be seeing a, a possible labor stri labor strike or or a situation that we saw with baseball. Um, I don't quite know the details of it quite yet because we're not we're they're playing every single game, so I'm not quite sure how it breaks down. But from mm -hmm. what I've heard, there's some rumblings that this is not going to be as easy as hey you're you've tested negative, let's go play football. There's going to be a possible Major League Baseball-esque um, little Sit mini, mini strike going on. Um, that, and this might be the players getting out ahead of it. Because um, I do believe, like I said, on Twitter, it was very obvious that the, the NFL Players Association gave all their players that are on Twitter, look, this is what you want to put down, go, you know, play with it this way or that way. But if you read one NFL's tweet about it, you read pretty much all of them. It was a oh. very strategic PR move and I do wonder if it could possibly be because of the possible labor lay, uh, labor negotiations that they're going to have to get figured out if the season did shorten. Things are going to have to happen. Everyone's going to want to be compensated. Everyone's going to want to stay healthy. Um, moving on, um, but sticking along with this kind of COVID topic, let's talk about the NBA bubble and, and, and how the NBA is Letting everyone know there's no there's no positive test in the bubble. Great, you know, great. But what happens when someone does, right? Um, quarantine the bubble, you know, what what's gonna happen? It's there's there's no what there's no way that it's gonna go up if there's a if there's a, a, a positive test. It's, it's set up to fail, um, though it's working. So your thoughts. Yeah, you know, and I kind of talked with you about it earlier. This yeah. is now it's a great thing for the NBA, but I, I bet yeah. you if you asked them, they would have liked well, maybe three or four positive tests would have been nice because at this point, nothing good. I mean, obviously, look, it's great everyone or no one has it, but from right. here on out, if you keep doing zeros, it's like okay, yeah, you're doing what you're supposed to. But the yeah. minute we see a number or God forbid a crooked number all hell will break loose um, and it will maybe not all hell but I mean if we see one week where maybe 10 10 get it that's when we could see it but if it's one or two okay things happen and I, I somewhat disagree um, I, I don't necessarily think you know the people that get COVID are walking around licking doorknobs and stuff like that maybe in the situation they do things that are reckless but I've done things sometimes where during all this that after the fact, I realized like, oh man, like I just walked through, or I just went to my mail room and I didn't have my mask on. Or, you know, right. it's it just human nature of certain things that, um, that you just get it from just a quick little thing. Who knows, maybe the DoorDash driver didn't do every single thing on the whole no contact delivery. Protocol, you right. don't know that. Yeah. You just grabbed it, threw it in there, had your meal. Um, yeah. But we, we obviously had the two, the two tests. It was what, Harden and Westbrook, which I still- We still don't know. Incredibly fishy. Right. And, and Westbrook <laughs> shows up, or he's set to show up. Yeah, yeah. And, and now we're down to zero. So like I said, it's, it's great. I think it's great for the NBA. I know the NBA is pumped, but you've got to think in the back of their mind, this, we, I mean, we, there's nowhere good to go from here. There's right. only a negative spin anyone can take on this from the rest of the weeks. Because um, like I said, I, I find it, I highly doubtful that they're going to go, what, 
two more months with no positive tests. Sorry, I just right. don't see that happening, especially if it's as you know prevalent as it's supposed to be. Well, the proximity of, of players is gonna gonna shorten, right? It's gonna get closer. Hasn't happened yet. It's bound to happen. It's gotta happen. It's game time stuff. And we saw how early on that first week, the game got shut down at halftime. And then days after, teams that played teams that had guys test positive, it kind of just went rampant in wildfire and guys were getting these positive cases. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy that the NBA is, uh, is alive and kicking and there's no positive tests so far. And they're looking forward to uh, the eight-game playoff or the eight-game play into the playoffs. Looking forward to – the playoffs is when the NBA really – uh, defensively and offensively. We talked about that off air, but we're not going to touch in or regurgitate what was said on Monday's NBA podcast. What I would love to do is encourage every one of our listeners to go back, listen to Coach Sutton, listen to Josh, listen to what their take was on the NBA Western Conference, NBA Eastern Conference next Monday. Yep. And it's full steam ahead. And, and we're, we're, uh, we're, it's a go. The NBA is a go. Um, we talked about this off air, and um, I, I brought this up early on in, in the show. The importance of women in sports is huge. Um, I found the article that I wanted to share with you in regards to these celebrities and former U.S. women's national team soccer players. Um, have united, have come together to became a, become an all-women's all women's ownership group in the National Women's Soccer League team in L.A. Other than Gail Benson of the New Orleans Saints, who inherited ownership duties after Tom passed, um, this is an all-women's ownership group. I don't know any other women ownership groups off the top of my head, I mean, I may be a little disrespectful not knowing anyone, but I want to stress, this is a great move. This is something that um, is going to change ownership environment in all major league sports. The Titans, for example, women's a, 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 a woman owner. But we talked off air earlier a couple days ago. Now the Timberwolves are up for sale and who's leading that group other than Kevin Garnett and former players. The Mets have been up for sale. A-Rod's putting a, a team together, right? Um, the, the complexion of ownership in sports is starting to change. And I'm just going to say, this is my opinion. It's about time because it may be a little bit of this social injustices that are triggering some of these things. This is a strong minority women's group. Kevin Garnett and his group, a minority ownership group. A-Rod and his group, minority ownership group. A changing of the guard. Um, not necessarily the NFL yet, but who knows, right? We're seeing, uh, we're seeing some changes. And former players are, are making those changes um, rightfully so. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I, I, that's awesome for bringing that up. I, I will say, you know, I, I want 
that day to come when, and I, I will say, I want us to talk about them being a fantastic ownership group as yes. well. Yes, a winning um, I, ownership I don't, group. I don't want a situation, um, and I don't, I'm sure they, especially U.S. women's national team, they, and they're buying a, uh, a soccer team, so you know they're going to be. But I'm just saying I don't want to see things where, oh, we're giving them this – like, I want to see what yeah. we saw last night, and I, I should have checked her name, but the first base coach for the San Francisco Giants. Go out, uh -huh. and she yeah. earned it. Um, well, we have the coach for the San Francisco 49ers as well. Yes. Um, going out and earning it. We have Becky Hammond, and I, I know I'm, – I'm sorry she was the only name who popped in that I actually knew, but she was, I believe, the first one. Um, in terms of on a bench with Greg Popovich in San Antonio right. and was right. actually interviewing four head coaching jobs in the NBA. So I think we are going in the right direction, but I yep. think what needs to be key, because I think a lot of times we, we see people and not the best people in the world will see things like that and think, oh, well, the only reason they're doing it is because they're female, or the only reason people are talking about it is because it's a female group. And that may be so, but I also do think that this is probably the best situation or the, for that team. And is it, is it a new team coming in, or is it, a, is it an expansion team? Well, it sounds like it's a new team for Los Angeles. Perfect. And I think that's great, because you're going to have that – group i mean it's similarly like um uh with you know um softball jenny finch owning a softball team yeah that makes a lot of sense jessica mendoza yes that makes a lot of sense so i want them to obviously i want them to be the just an amazing ownership group right um because of what they do um in terms of how they run their company i don't want it to be a situation of oh Let's all just pay attention to them because they're the – and I because I think that is also harmful when right. we, we look and go, oh, hey, look, there's women in sports. And it's like, well, okay, let's acknowledge it and let's get back to it. We don't need to see it every day. We don't need to rem be reminded every single day that Becky Hammond's the first NBA coach ever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's get past it. She is now a coach. It's over. We're, we, we, we celebrated it. It's great. We'll always celebrate it. Right. But the, it frustrates me when it's constantly brought up because I feel like it um, maybe demeans the situation because, hey, we don't talk about how Greg Popovich is the head coach of the Spurs every day. Right. So why are we talking, reminding everybody that Becky Hammond is the assistant coach? That's, right. That doesn't seem fair um, yeah. to me and to them. And I do think it kind of demeans what they're doing. I think they want to go about it. And I think most of all, they want to just be one of the team. They don't right. want to be that one female coach. They want to be one of many. And they want to be, hey, that coach did a ton for me. Because that's what coaching is all about. Yeah. Um, but that's really the only final thoughts I have on that. Because, um, and, and I'll be the first one to admit, with bringing in Brianna to the podcast, it's the first time in my life I've worked with a female in a sporting sense. And what I've realized is, it's not so much now look the sexual harassment stuff that's got to go okay but yes. that's not a sports thing folks oh no, that's, that's life this okay? life yeah. i don't care where you are just because you're not in the locker room does not mean you you know that's that's beyond it but what i think is a bigger problem is 
the um, the condense the conde uh, condescension that men give women when talking sports in terms of wow you know sports pretty well for a girl <laughs> yeah, yeah you know yeah. that yeah. stuff right there is i think what we need to change as a society because i will and i've met i mean i've caught myself thinking that i don't you know vocalize that and it's not coming from a negative place but it, we need to get away from that we need to get away from wow you know a lot of sports for a girl it's wow you know a lot of sports yeah hey, let's go talk sports period and I think that might be the biggest problem. And like I said, I don't want to demean the sexual um, stuff that's going on. But in a locker room sense, I think it's more behind the scenes stuff that we have to, especially the sexual assault stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that's the behind the scenes stuff. But in terms of the, I, I, what we can do as sports fans is when you meet a female who likes sports, treat her like you would your buddies, your male buddies. Don't make a huge deal about, oh my God, she likes sports, so what? <laughs> Who cares? And I think that's the biggest thing that females are dealing with in sports. They immediately say, hey, yeah, I want, I'm a sports fan. And, and they drop numbers and you go, whoa, you know sports. Mm -hmm. And immediately they shut down because they're like, okay, this guy is only going to hear my views from right. a female perspective, not from a yeah. sports fan perspective. And I yeah. think that's what we need to do as male sports fans in this country is stop putting for a girl at the end of every bit or for a female however you want to put it i don't know if that was me demeaning but stop putting that for a blank at the end of it it's their sports fans treat them like themselves couldn't have said it any better be first nails it at the end and we're wrapping this podcast up i hope you guys enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed doing this uh today and every wednesday week and and to end with the legendary San Diego State basketball coach, Steve Fisher. I think when you enjoy what you're doing, you get where you want to go. And that wraps up this week's show. Uh, tune in to Monday's NBA. Actually, it doesn't. Podcast. It doesn't. We're going to finish off with the L.A. Dodgers betting briefing oh, to start off the season. Nice. So uh, it's going to be a standalone podcast, but it's going to be an addendum ending <laughs> to – uh, the podcast with Brandon, Dr. Brandon First and Coach Lupian, uh, Coach of the Year. It's going to be a quick five-minute podcast. If it's only three minutes, even better. Right. But it's going to be a betting-centric podcast. All right. So the betting preview for the Los Angeles Dodgers 2020. Now they're going to get – now the purpose of every meeting – Every meeting has to have a purpose and an outcome, right? So the purpose of this uh, podcast is to give you a briefing, to give you insight so you can make money. And the outcome is what we've done here. Uh, we finished college basketball in a 46 and five run in the high 80%, 52% is break, break even. So in a recession, pandemic, riots, occupations from the left, occupations from the right with the military, we're making you money. So you don't have to worry whether you're going to get a stimulus or extended unemployment or not. We're going to give you a betting stimulus and we're going to give you a betting extension of unemployment. To that end, Dodgers are going to get high lines all year, right? And the first time this came into my mind was when uh, Dr. First broke down brilliantly 
uh, in the middle of the pandemic, if March heading into April, what was going down with their team, even the Dodgers. So what you do is you go to the website and you go to Brandon first page where he breaks down every single team so you can get that betting edge. We're going to make sure everybody gets it before baseball starts in the next few days. So high lines means that the Dodgers are going to be minus 250, 300 in most of their games. Do you bet those or not? Two ways to look at it, right? You can get on a roll and bet them, but you know you're going to have to be 8 out of 9, 9 out of 10 for winning those games. The way you make money on the Dodgers is picking them to lose when they're going to lose, right? They're never going to win more than 80% of their games. So if they won 10 in a row, you got to look hard at number 11 and see if they're bringing somebody from Oklahoma City, right? And they're getting plus 400. You got to look at the other team. Hey, they have a shot, right? Now, I love betting um, money line. But with the Dodgers, if you like betting Dodgers games, you're going to have to look at uh, the run line. So if the Dodgers beat let's call the Giants, right? They bring in first. I'm relying a lot of my research, and I really have for the last four years. I stopped researching the Philadelphia Eagles because he gave me such a, a great insight into them. So I say time, right? And time is money, all right? People can see the value equation in there is time. So he saved me a lot of time researching, okay? So he's telling me the Giants are a holdable team. So if the Dodgers kill them 10 to nothing, uh, eight games in a row, I'm looking at the run line, game number nine, with the Giants, right? They might lose again. They might, again, uh, take uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, but they're not going to get killed 10 times in a row, and you just made some easy money. Then you got to look at, uh, we're going to give this pick, we're going to call it the Tim Conway Jr. Uh betting tip, right? He said a lot of these games are going to go under. Why? Because these guys have been playing dominoes in the Dominican. They've been partying in Puerto Rico. They've been not thinking about baseball. Suddenly they're, oh, we are going to play baseball. Oh, we're not going to be in our home park. We're going to be in Pittsburgh. What? Da, da, da. So that means that a lot of games are going to go under, right? And they always do in the beginning. Pitchers always have an advantage in the beginning. So go under, and if you're going to pit Dodgers games, go uh, the over-under the line, which is going to be under, right? Especially uh, at the end of the Dodgers rotation where guys are going to be fighting to be in the playoffs. Uh, your Ross Striplings, all right? Uh, those guys, you got to pick those unders because they have something to prove, all right? So that is your Dodgers briefing. And quick note about uh, Mookie Betts, right? Because – with the Dodgers, when you look at weaknesses, you always have to nitpick stuff that they'll lose a World Series for. So the Dodgers have been notoriously horrible running the bases. Mookie Betts, great running the bases. Bellinger, he is fast for his genre as a baseball player, but not ultra fast on the bases. Mookie uh, Betts fixes that problem for the Dodgers. And he also fixes the leadoff spot. So, and then he's good at run suppression. So Mookie Betts puts the Dodgers in a higher level. Then I'm going to look at more of those high lines with them. But I'm going to remember, what you want to do is you want to get over 
52.5 and you want a lot of juice in your favor, but always remember, salesmen think short-term, businessmen think long-term, all right? So you always wanna get that high percentage of winnings and then go the other way at the right time, you will make a lot of money. So we're gonna close with Steve Fisher and Sir Winston Churchill. Josh, uh, can I actually add something real quick for you? Absolutely. The, so when, when you were talking about, you know, the, the runs going under, another thing to think about too, during this quarantine, it's a lot easier for major league pitchers to replicate their situation right. rather than- They can than throw in the backyard. Players. Exactly. They can go and they can throw their two-seamer. It's all good. These major league hitters, they got to hope that they're playing team with a major league hitter or a major league pitcher. Because believe me, the, uh, going to the, even my mom said, she goes, oh, well, they could go to the batting cages. Well, shit, I could hit 90 when it's straight. They're not worried about that. So, so you're going to see a lot more unders, obviously because of what you said. It's always like that. But especially during the quarantine, the pitchers were always at an advantage they can go out and do their normal whatever routine and not really be affected too much other than having a live batter as opposed to a hitter who has to find somehow to uh, uh, replicate a uh, Chris Sale or a Z Garrett Cole or a Walker Bueller, something like that. So I just wanted to add that to it. Um, obviously, that will be another reason why I think a high majority of games will go under. Right, and we're going to not just have an opinion on it, because that's what makes us different than Clay Travis and uh, Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith. If they're wrong, they don't lose money. If we're wrong, we lose money. All right? So we're going to bet the under, and then we're going to monetize it. We're going to go to our favorite. Uh, you can go to MyBookieAG and put your bets there. Uh, promo code ESBC. If it doesn't work or something happens, get with us. Uh, but no, go ahead and place your bets, place those unders. And I'm not going to encroach on Brianna Winner, all right? That is her real name. That a guy like Joe Madden in close games, run, run, uh, one run games, those type of managers are going to have an advantage when you're placing your bets. So we're going to go rapid fire. Uh, Coach Lupian is going to give us the Fitcher, and I'll give you Sir Winston Churchill. Thank you, Dr. Brandon, for a great job. Yes, sir. So the legendary Coach Steve Fisher, I think when you enjoy what you're doing, you get where you want to go. Take it, and, take it. sir, Winston Churchill said, you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. That's why we give you free bets do not give action sports three hundred dollars a month just get the picks from us and we'll give you a bigger percentage and we'll make you more money and subscribe so you get your bets in on time because remember time equals money thank you for listening to the esbc podcast network If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use. <clears throat> and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast. 
It helps us make 70 to 80% of your bets. Now, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started, my brothers. I'm the best there is.